singing to God with the people of God is one of the richest experiences that you, we get to have every single week. And so if you're a guest here today, we just wanna say welcome. I want you to get plugged in with us. I want you to hear what the word of God has to say. And so if there's a uh, Bible in front of you, I encourage you to grab it. If you don't have one, you can take it home. My name's Ryan too. I'm the admissions minister here at First McKinney. And as you get settled in and guest or not guest, I do have a question for you. Have you really ever considered how the world is going to end? This is a good way to start off the morning. Maybe it's a, a quick ending to it all in the flash of a light. Maybe it's a slow burn, the whole ecosystem falls apart. Only roaches are left. Maybe artificial intelligence actually comes to consciousness and the movies of Terminator actually come true. Or maybe, maybe the century old threat of nuclear bombs finally takes its place. Well, I recently read an article that actually has an opinion about how all this will come to end. And this is what it says. In a recent study by the University of Sheffield's Department of Physics and Astronomy, their team has been reviewing quasars. These are considered to be the brightest and most powerful objects in the universe, believed to be caused by entire galaxies colliding into one another, resulting in explosions of radiation out of black holes in our universe, which gives them the same luminosity as a trillion stars combined. And after further study, while quasars are beautiful to look at in a telescope, the study's author says that, quote, what we see is likely to represent the future of our own Milky Way galaxy when, not if, but when it collides with the Andromeda galaxy. Wow. Now, I think that begs the question, when should this happen? Well, the article goes on further to say that this collision is estimated to happen in about Five billion years. So bad news, looks like we're on a crash course, literally with the end of the world as we know it. Good news, we got some time, about five billion years or so to prepare. So just think through that as you go to lunch today. But really, how is all this going to end? What's in store for us in these last days? As many of you may know, we're in the church age. These are the last days. This is the final days of time. As the Bible prompts so often in the New Testament, Jesus is returning soon, apparently a relative term. So today we will be in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is the first half of the book. If you're new to the Bible, you can always go to the table of contents at the beginning of your Bible, but I encourage you, whether you swipe there, you open a device or you open the physical word of God in front of you, I encourage you to get into the word of God as we dive in. So, will you please stand for the reading of Daniel 12. And here's the word of the Lord out of Daniel 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, Two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. 
And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that this would be for a time, times and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Just a few weeks ago, I got to sit with a young man in our church and read through this exact text, three, read through Daniel 12. And so I asked him after he finished, I said, hey, what do you think? What's your takeaway? What's God saying? And his response aptly was, I have no idea what I just read. What in the world is this talking about? Verse one, it says at this time, well, what time are we talking about? Well, if you've been walking with us, we're in the middle or actually at the very end of our series in the book of Daniel. So the world may not be ending today, but we are wrapping up Daniel. And chapters one through six tell the familiar stories, the famous Bible stories that many of us heard as children. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel and his friends, the testing of fire, interpreting dreams, God's deliverance. This Babylonian captivity that has tried to brainwash them, they stood strong and God delivered. And you get to chapter six, the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. But then when you turn the page after Daniel has been delivered once more, you get to chapter seven through 12, the prophecies. Incredibly difficult to understand, to interpret. Even brilliant scholars and great Christian minds struggle in some of these areas to understand exactly what this is saying or when it will happen. So then you get into chapters 10 through 12. Chapter 10 is the beginning of the last vision in chapter 12, where we are in, we're in the middle of that vision, but we are closing it. And so for the entire book of Daniel, I believe that we need to see this fact, this big idea from the book of Daniel, that the kingdom of God will not fail. Time and time and again, the kingdom of God will not fail. Last week, Chris, our executive pastor, showed us in chapter 11, verse one through 35, it's a longer chapter, to sum it up that God is in control. As Pastor Sam has put it, that God is in control of those who are in control. Again, God's kingdom ruling all kingdoms and God's kingdom will not fail. So I want us to spend just a brief moment looking at verses 36 through 45 of chapter 11 to set the stage as we close this book in chapter 12. I'll read these verses over you. You can see them on the screen. Just imagine what this would look like. And the king shall do as he wills, starting in verse 36. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God, shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the time of indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. 
He shall not pay attention to any other God for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor them with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of the hand, Edom and Moab, the main parts of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries in the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. What I want us to see here primarily in chapter 11, the very ending of chapter 11, this prophecy what was being told to Daniel is this, a leader will rise, he will exalt himself and he will ultimately fall. Daniel saw this in his time. He's hearing the prophecy of another time to come that this will happen. And we are seeing this time and time and time again. Now, a leader will rise, he will exalt himself and he will ultimately fall. You've probably heard this name if you've been sitting through this series, Antiochus IV Epiphanes. This prophecy is given in the 500s BC. Antiochus rolls into Jerusalem in the 160s, leading a massacre towards the Jews. To summarize, Antiochus' rule and reign really, especially the siege of Jerusalem, fits this account that we just read. He exalts himself, he worships new gods, even deals with Egypt and eventually his death, all seem to really fit what we just read. It seems like it's a recapitulation of other prophecies we've already covered regarding Antiochus, regarding the common view of these prophecies. So while some see this prophecy fulfilled, others also see this text using words like at the time of the end. At the time of the end. So is there more to come? Could this be the character that we call the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness from 2 Thessalonians 2 and the book of Revelation? So which is it? Is it Antiochus? Is it the Antichrist? Is it someone else? We'll take a look at all these in the very next text, in related texts. But I want you to see this. This is how some people have chosen to interpret what we just read. These are all the same takes on the same scriptures, Daniel 12 and other end times prophecies. It looks like an accountant got in fight with a clown. And this is how we try to make sense of all that we just read. This is very difficult. You may be familiar with this, these terms. We have different schools of thought here. We have dispensationalists and we have covenantal theologians and we have actually now progressive dispensationalists and progressive covenantals. And now I heard just this week of the new creation millennialism. It's a mouthful. And of course you have the old discussions of, well, you preach it pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, are you pre-mill, post-mill, maybe ah-mill. If you have no idea what I'm saying, God bless you. These are age old arguments. 
This is a really actually fun discussion. This is a neat discussion. It's a fruitful discussion. This is a big doctrine of the church, the return of Christ. Christ is coming back. We need to agree on that. But these discussions must not be divisive. We have freedom on this secondary or tertiary issue, however you wanna see it. Even here on staff, we have diversity in some of our secondary or third level theological views. Some of us here on staff actually see this correctly, while some (laughs) others maybe not. But seriously, what if this horrendous figure as described in chapter 11 is not just Antiochus Epiphanes from the 160s? What if there is another to come? Let's jump back into chapter 12, as we're gonna see again, the kingdom of God will not fail. And if God's kingdom is being realized now, but not fully until Christ's return, then how do we interact with all these different prophecies as God's people in the last days? Daniel 12, chapter one. At that time, as we discovered, this is the time of the king of the north, shall arise Michael. This is the same Michael from chapter 10. At the beginning of this vision, he is the great prince who has charge of your people. Quick note, be encouraged. If God is telling Daniel in Israel that he is sending his archangel to care for them, to lead them, he will continue to do so for God's people now. He is sending his army on our behalf. And it says, there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. In these last days, as God's people, we must be prepared for tribulation. Verse one. Now this is extreme language. This is talking about the time of the end. So should we be looking to the end times? Should we be looking ahead for ourselves? Because he's really talking to Daniel here. Well, if you were to ask Jews who lived from 167 to 164 BC, they would attest to the ravaging of God's people by Antiochus. They would tell you about how he burned their scriptures, how he robbed their temple, how he set up a statue of Zeus in their temple, sacrificed a pig on the altar while also slaughtering a great numbers of Jews and selling them to slavery. Surely a Jew at that point would have said, this is it. This is the Daniel 12, Daniel 11 prediction. The time has come, this must be the end. But then you have Jesus giving a prophecy in Matthew 24, around 30 AD. So we have the 500s BC. You have Antiochus in the 160s BC. You have Jesus, 30-ish AD. And starting in verse one of Matthew 24, this is what it says. Jesus left the temple, was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And then in verse 15 and 16 of that same chapter, this is what Jesus says. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Again, so many see this fulfilled in 160. Jesus talking about future events in 30 AD. Well, in 70 AD, just as foretold, this exact scene occurred. The Roman leader Titus seized Jerusalem. Many Jews fled and he destroyed the temple. Here again, those at the time must have thought, surely this is the end. This is what has been spoken of. This is what Jesus alluded to using Daniel 12 and and looking at what's to come. 
I think what we can take away from this and how I've heard it put before, Satan hates you. Satan hates everybody. But Satan does not know how this will end. And so he is putting his best foot forward to defeat the kingdom of God. And he's raising up an antichrist in every generation that he can. He's throwing spaghetti at the wall, just hoping one sticks. Because he is not God. He tried to elevate himself to that position. But God's kingdom will not fail. And so he throws antichrist after antichrist at us. You have Antiochus, you have Titus, the Roman emperor of 70 AD. You have people like Hitler, you have the modern world leaders that threaten peace and security and prosperity. In every generation, Satan is bringing his attack upon us. He hates God and he hates you. But hear this, at the time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charged your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. God's people have and God's people will endure trial. They will endure tribulation. They will endure suffering. Romans 5, 1 through 11 tells us of that. But there has also been and will be deliverance. The book being referenced here is the book of life. The Lamb's book of life as described in Revelation. The question is, is your name in that book? Is your name written down in heaven as a child of God? Secure in the documents of God that you are part of his family. Is your name written down? Now you might be thinking, I don't know. How am I supposed to know? Well, this next verse says it. Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, those in the book, and some to everlasting contempt. In these last days as God's people, we must be prepared for tribulation, coming tribulation, more tribulation, but we must also be prepared for judgment. A day of judgment on the world is coming, us included. A day of distinction where a line in the sand has been drawn. And I'm not here to scare anyone into following Jesus. I'm simply here to preach the word of God. And the word of God says that there is justice that our God is a just God and he will crush sin. He will crush every one of his enemies. And so then when Jesus asked his disciples this question, the question that everyone in all of eternity, past, present, and future will have to answer is this, who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? because he will be separating sheep from goat, those who have committed their lives to the savior. Those who have committed their lives to what we just sang about, as the clouds roll back, they open up like a scroll. Daniel seven is the pinnacle of this book. And in Daniel seven, at this tipping point of the spear, we see verses about one that is called the son of man, descending on the clouds being raised up by the ancient of days, God himself. And then Jesus comes to inaugurate his kingdom and he starts to use this title over and over and over again, the son of man, the son of man. Jesus is the Daniel seven son of man. He has come, his kingdom is coming and there's a day of judgment coming. Now, 
as a part of that judgment. Those who are found in Christ Jesus, there's a great reward for those who are found in the book. In these last days as God's people, we are prepared for tribulation, we're prepared for the coming judgment and we get to be prepared for the great reward. Verse three, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now that may sound like a cool reward to a five-year-old and a neat story, but I think to a lot of us 21st century Americans, what's so great about shining like stars? Does that sound like a reward to you? Well, in ancient belief, they saw the sun, moon, and stars as gods. We will not become gods, but we can become like him, as the Bible says. And this is certainly an upgrade. They saw this as an upgrade. We can see this. And Exodus 34 testifies to this. As Moses went up the mountain, spending 40 days and 40 nights with God, hearing God speak directly to him, recording the Ten Commandments on tablets. And this is what verse 29 out of Exodus 34 has to say about Moses. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. The skin of his face showing because he had been with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. This is not like being afraid to look at someone who doesn't have their makeup on. This is quite the opposite. This is looking at someone who has the glory and radiance of God the Father on their face because they have spent time with God. If we need to know more of what this reward might look like, we also have the New Testament, the new covenant, the new testimony of what's to come. And in Mark 9, we read of Jesus and his transfiguration. Verse two says this, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to him, to, uh, to them with Jesus, hear this, Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Jesus standing there with a representative of the law and a representative of the prophets, declaring that he is Lord and showing who he is, showing what has been bottled up in human skin. As Philippians 2 tells us, that he came down from his throne to be with us as the God-man. And here, in just for a few minutes, shows his three core disciples what is inside of himself. They get to see, just peeling back the curtain just a little bit. And just like a lamp, it's not, yes, his, his, his clothes are all shiny, but it's about what's in them. The source of all light as 1 John 1 tells us. And when you meet the creator of the galaxies that we see running into each other, when you come into contact with the origin of all light, you are wonderfully and amazingly transformed. Moses testifies to this. Jesus shows us this. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of testimonies in this room testify that God is good. God is good to save. God is good to redeem. And when you meet Jesus, you will then become like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jeff Warren, former pastor of this church, actually said it like this. Justification is when you meet Jesus. When you come into relationship with Jesus, you are saved, you are justified. 
Sanctification is when you start to behold him. When you worship him, you become like him. Romans 8, 29 says, this is actually our goal, to be conformed into the image of Christ. Well, what is that image of Christ? Well, that's glorification. Glorification is when you gaze upon him. That there will be a day, as we just sang about, when we will see him face to face. 1 John 3, 2 says, we will see him as he is and we will be made like him in every way that God allows us to be. This is the reward. Christ is our reward. And then he in his benevolence and his generosity and his love and care for us pours onto us his perfection, his glory. We get to be with him and we get to be like him. If you wanna be prepared for the last days and this coming tribulation judgment, but yes, a reward, then look to Jesus. He takes on our tribulation. He takes on our judgment and he is our reward. Galatians 2.20 says it like this, for I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is he who lives in me. This is an identity switch for those with Jesus, walking with him in the tribulation, walking with him to the cross. He takes you, he takes all of your burdens, all of your worries, and he carries them with him to the cross. This is your new identity. This is your new life. For those who are in Christ Jesus, he gives you this life. He gives you this willingness, this journey. Because none of us had the right, none of us had the equity to even pay that price, and none of us were willing. But Jesus was willing. And so he puts you on his shoulders and he carries you to the cross. And then comes the judgment. When all the world's sin is poured on him, when his flesh is ripped off his back, when nails are put in his hands, his feet are nailed together and they poke him with the spear at the end just to make sure he's dead. The judgment of God on sin, deeming him guilty on our behalf. He is guilty that we may be free. Because when he judges, when he brings a sin onto the perfect lamb of God, the deity of Christ crushes that sin. And the payment is accepted by God and Jesus is raised to life. And so for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who follow Jesus, for those who submit their life to the King of all kings and the King of the universe, that is his promise. He is good to save. His life now on yours. His death now given to you. And his resurrection given to you. This is what we signify in baptism. Buried with Christ, raised to newness in life. This is your new identity and this is your new reward. Jesus is your reward. Identity with Jesus is your reward. His name on you. That's what the doctrine of adoption is all about. That he is the firstborn. We had no right into that family. But for those who give their lives to Jesus, for those who repent and believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, this kingdom that has come with the king, when you give your life to Jesus with no works, just faith, just trust him, just submit. He is God and he is good to save. And then he will lavish on you all his great rewards. Eternity with him, eternity and likeness with him. That's our new identity. And so with this said, for those who follow Jesus, how should we now live in light of this news? Well, verse three says this, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. 
Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Now, at one point I thought the point here may need to be, do not shut up God's word, just shut up your own. But I thought that was a bit harsh. And really, that's not how we're to act. But Amos 8, 12 actually tells us that people are gonna be running to and fro. They're gonna be seeking knowledge. They wanna know what is going on. And we see that in our day. We see that today. People are doing anything they can to find themselves. And so we, how are we supposed to act in light of this news? Well, it says to preserve and to proclaim the gospel, verses three and four, to seal up the scrolls. In the ancient day, you would have two scrolls. You would have two copies. You would seal one and you would use the other. And if anyone ever debated you on this one, you came back to this one, you would break the seal and say, hey, look, everything I've said is actually true to the original document. No edits, no additives, nothing. And so what he's telling Daniel is now don't seal it up and don't tell anybody. Because if he did, he didn't do a very good job. We get to read this testimony of Daniel. We get to read the word of God. We actually get to preserve the gospel. And this is why teaching sound doctrine while understanding our scriptures, while teaching this to ourselves and the world is so key and so vital that we preserve the holy and good and true message of Jesus as our Lord and King, as a savior of the world, savior of the universe. And so as we marinate in the scriptures, as we trust the word of God, then we go and we proclaim the gospel. As it says in verse three, turning many to righteousness. Go proclaim the gospel. Go tell people the good news. If we are saved, may we preach like it. Romans 10, 17 says this, that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the preaching of the word of God. We must preach the word. We must preach the gospel. We must share it. But I know a lot of us, if we were sent out to go share the gospel with somebody, to go interact with the world in spiritual conversations, get a little, get a little shaky real fast. So this fall, as Sam said, we have all sorts of stuff going on. One specific one I want to highlight is it's called Made to Multiply, Disciple Making 101. You can text that number, 96123, midweek, to sign up. But to give you an idea of what this looks like, as we train one another to go out into the harvest, to, to reach our neighbors and our coworkers, a gentleman in our church who was saved last year went through this training in the spring. And as a result, he actually brought spiritual conversation. He brought the gospel. He brought pursuit, proclamation to his coworkers. And now there's a small group of him and his coworkers at work gathering around the word of God, speaking truth into their lives. Folks that would have never darkened the doors of a church because of whatever their misconceptions are. And that's on us. May we go out in generosity. May we go out proclaiming the grace of Jesus Christ. Because trust me, people are looking for answers. They're looking for hope. So may we give it to them in the gospel. May we give it to them in the name and person of Jesus Christ. And so these final instructions to Daniel read this, starting in verse five. Then I, Daniel, look and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. So we're back to this vision. Originally, he just saw one man. Now we have three. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, same man from chapter 10, who was above the waters of the stream. Notice his positioning. Does this sound familiar? Above the water. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? In verse seven. 
And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time. That's three and a half years as we've covered in the series. Some will point out that this is actually incomplete. Seven is a number of completion. So there's a time coming that is not quite complete, not quite the end. And that is when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. But verse eight, I heard, but I did not understand. Yeah, welcome to the club, Daniel. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Daniel's being a bit persistent here. They've already asked when it's gonna happen. He got an answer and really didn't help him out. So he's asking, can you just give me a little more clarification? And this is what the messenger has to say to him. Verse nine, he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. Being refined, those who who are saved, those who are perfected in the name of Jesus. But the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. The wisdom of God looks like foolishness to the world. The wisdom of God looks like foolishness to the world. But the wise shall understand. The wise are those, again, who have enough wisdom to humbly submit themselves to God, to the God. So many of us know this to be true. Maybe you're in a season of resistance. Maybe you're putting your heels in the ground. Maybe you just need to humbly submit to the reality that there is a creator of the cosmos who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. We can worry about all the rules or understanding all the prophecies later. Do you know Jesus? Is your name in the book of life? Because verse 11, from that time, the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. This causes the natural question of, huh? (laughs) This is one of the most difficult verses that theologians have to interpret. What is 1,290 days? What is 1,335 days? And what's it mean to arrive at one? Again, we can see the depiction here on the screen. There's one commentary that has some confidence here. It says the numbers are enigmatic, difficult to interpret. As attested by the numerous interpretive approaches to the passage, again, see your beautiful charts, But naturally, questions arise as to whether the numbers should be understood in a literal or symbolic sense. The interpretive problems are only complicated by the different calendars. There's the lunar, the solar, and wait for it, the loony solar. One commentator writes, and these are all used in biblical times. One commentator writes that, quote, no one has been able to suggest satisfactory explanation of the two time periods. Those being those in verse 11 and 12. So I feel like I'm a little off the hook, but here's my favorite part. Another writer, quote, confidently asserts that the two verses provided, they provide further details concerning history's final events, though he admits exact certainty as to the time of the events is impossible to determine. So in case you missed that, we have a, quote, confident assertion that the events are impossible to determine. This is wonderful, right? Well, again, without getting into too much detail, understand this, that many of these events actually fit the life and rule and reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. But this 45 day span here actually doesn't. And if it's not fitting perfectly with very specific 
days listed out here, then I think we have cause to pause. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this somewhat confusion in this prophecy? Let's see what the final words to Daniel are. Verse 13, but go your way till the end and you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Another way to say that, trust God and go. When God says something twice in the same passage, go your way, Daniel. This can also be applied to us as we live in light of this news. We need to trust his word, trust what he has had to say and go in your allotted place. He has a very specific meaning for your life. There's a reason that he chose you to live now. There's a reason he put you in this geography. There's a reason he put you in your job to preserve the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to go out on mission as we have covered. Because we get to bring the reality of saving grace from judgment and the reward to be with Jesus. He tells Daniel to rest and stand, to stand before God and his allotted places to come. There will be a day when we all get to worship, we all get to sing holy, holy, holy to the Lamb of God, that is Jesus. We will do that with an uncountable number of people, all the nations, tribes and tongues of history, eternities, past and present and future. We will stand and sing just as we did, just as we will here in a few minutes because we will be able to stand firm. So keep your eyes fixed on Jesus as God's kingdom will not fail. So we stand firm in this truth. We stand firm a year from now when the political environment with the election is chaos. When some of us may have put a little too much stock in that. When we're stressed out about that. When people are fighting about that, we stand firm in the gospel. We stand firm in God's kingdom. We can stand firm a month from now, we're in the middle of a school season where our hopes and dreams are dashed, whether that's grades or sports or our hopes for our children or our children's relationship with our parents. When the school year really starts cooking, when you put too much stock in those kingdoms, stand firm in God's kingdom. You can stand firm tomorrow when you go to work, when this kingdom that you've built for yourself fails, when your hope in your money when your hope in your job, when your hope in your status, when your hope even in your good relationships, when they fail you, stand firm. Stand firm because you can trust God. You can trust his promises and that his kingdom will not fail. Because in the face of our kingdoms that we have put way too much confidence in, I want you to hear this clearly. There's a kingdom of peace designed to bring eternal rest for our souls eternal rest for your soul. It's found in the kingdom of Christ. Because when you're reconciled through the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, what else do you have to be worried about? When you and God are good, he can strip away everything in your life. You could have a life just like Job. But in the end, we have confidence in who he is and what he has to say about us and what Jesus has done, nothing we have done. And so, as we conclude, is this really about Antiochus Epiphanes of the 160s? Is this about Titus, the Roman emperor of 70 AD? Or maybe the Antichrist, the last days to come? The answer is yes. Because until the time of Christ's return, we can trust with full confidence based on the word of God that has been faithfully preserved for us that the kingdom of God will not fail. The kingdom of God will not fail. 
So when you go out to interact with coworkers, when you go out to interact with neighbors, they may not understand kingdom language, but you can tell them that God is in control and everything will be okay. Do you believe that? That God is in control and everything will be okay. Now they may think you're being a little insensitive. You don't know my troubles. You don't know what's going on in my life. You may not, but God does. And just as Justin said, we look to Jesus to see God. And what does he do? He comes to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is love. And he comes near to the brokenhearted. And so when someone actually finds reconciliation with Christ, they find forgiveness and his works on the cross, then they will find peace. And then they will know that the kingdom of God will not fail because God is in control and everything will be okay. So in a world of warring kingdoms, yes, God wins because the kingdom of God will not fail. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We wanna worship you. We worship you because of who you are and what you've done. You are the Daniel 7, son of man. You are the one to come, the one who has taken away the sin of the world. That's just who you are. And what you've done for us is give us life and life abundant, life to the full. And one day, all of this will be wiped away. All will be made right. We will get to worship you in full glory, face to face. That is our reward. We declare you to be the king. We praise you, we worship you. God, we just ask that this song would bless you as you have blessed us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up.